you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Jonah. Some of you may be thinking, where in the world is the book of Jonah? Well, go to Obadiah and turn right. <laughs> that doesn't help. It's page 953 in my Bible. Uh, that doesn't help. Turn to the table of contents. That's what I did, okay? Look it up, okay? Or check it out on the screen. The name of this book is Jonah. The primary character in the book probably isn't Jonah. And it isn't notable. Nineveh, and it certainly isn't the whale. You could say this book is primarily about God. You see, the fish is mentioned only four times. Nineveh is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times, but God is mentioned 38 times in this book. Jonah chapter 1 begins like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God calls Nineveh a great city. It was probably the capital of Assyria. It was very powerful and influential, and it may well have been the largest city in the world during its day. With a population possibly approaching 600,000 people nearly 800 years before the birth of Christ, it was like a New York City or a London, or a Tokyo in its day. A world-class city, large, powerful, influential, and evil. Nineveh was a great city, but it was also a very wicked city. They were a center of idol worship. And God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Tell them judgment is coming. And Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. And normally, true prophets obey what God tells them to do. In fact, John MacArthur tells us that this is the only recorded instance in the entire Bible. When a prophet refused the assignment God gave to them. If I wanted to be remembered for something, that's not it. Hey, you, whale boy, you're the one, right? You're the prophet that disobeyed God. Got you in trouble, didn't it? Nevertheless, Jonah refuses to go. Verse 3 tells us that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. But why? Was it because he was busy doing a great ministry in Israel? Was it because Nineveh was too far to travel? Was it because he didn't like to pronounce judgment on people? Well, truth be told, Nineveh was a whole lot closer than Tarshish. Nineveh was maybe 500 miles away, and Tarshish, the place where Jonah tries to run, is some 2,000 miles away. God tells Jonah, go preach to Nineveh, and Jonah says, no, thank you. I'll head to Tarshish. Distance has nothing to do with it. Some might say fear had something to do with it. You see, the people of Nineveh were ruthless toward their enemies. They were known for pulling out the tongues of their captives and skinning them alive. When they conquered a city, they piled the skulls of their victims outside the ruins. Who would want to go there? Suicide mission. But truth be told, the reason Jonah didn't want to go wasn't out of inconvenience or fear. It wasn't because he was doing some great ministry in Israel and he didn't want to leave. 
The reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he was prejudiced. He wasn't just prejudiced. Jonah, like pretty much every other good Jew, hated the Ninevites. Jonah's not afraid that the Ninevites won't repent. He's afraid that they will. How ironic. Here is a prophet of God who's been told by God, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to warn them that they need to repent because judgment is coming. But rather than go to Nineveh, Jonah gets on a ship and goes as far away as possible in the opposite direction toward Tarshish, some 2,000 miles away from where he is. Not because he just doesn't want to do it because he's busy or he's not that thrilled about the assignment. He doesn't want to go because he's afraid when he gets there, those people are going to listen to the message, they're going to repent, and they're going to be right with God. Now, I know you got some people in your life that you probably don't like very much, but I doubt that you hate anybody like Jonah hated the Ninevites. Still sometimes, God gives us assignments that we don't want to do. You know God is calling you to go talk with that neighbor about Jesus. But you know this is going to be awkward. You think it might be embarrassing and you just don't want to do it. You got another neighbor over there that God's putting it on your heart. You need to invite them to church to come sit by you. But you don't want to invite them to church and you don't want them sitting by you because you don't really like them very much. And they're going to make you look a little awkward if you invite them to come. Maybe you have another assignment that God has called you to do. Maybe it's something at your work. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's an issue that you have in your life. And God is calling you to go, but you don't want to go. We all have challenges in our lives. We all have people in our lives that we struggle with. We all have obedience calls that God is giving us in our lives, but sometimes we don't want to go. And there are times in life when we just run away, want to run away. How about you? Have you ever just wanted to run away? Have you ever just wanted to get in your car and I'm just going to drive? And I'm going to drive. I'm not going anywhere in particular. I'm just leaving. And I'm not coming back. Okay? You ever been there? The problem is you still got to come back. And when you get back, the problems are still there. Only they're worse than they were before. Sometimes I just like to get in the car and just drive. Right? But here's the deal. Everywhere you go, you don't get away from God. You're still right there with God. Why? Because God is everywhere. Say the word everywhere with me. Everywhere. How many believe God is everywhere? Okay. He is omnipresent. Okay. That means God is everywhere. He is also omniscient. You know what that means? God knows everything. Some of you think that you know it all. You don't know anything compared to God. Some of you are married to somebody who thinks they're know-it-all. Guess what? They don't know anything compared to God. Look at the person next to you and say, you don't know anything compared to God, all right? Some of you have been waiting to say that to somebody. I saw it. You were winding up while I was talking, okay? God knows everything. God is everywhere. God also is all-powerful. 
He can do anything. Do you believe that? Say the word all-powerful with me. All-powerful, okay? He's all-powerful. He can do anything. But that would not be very comforting to know that God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, and he's everywhere. If we didn't really like it very much, would it? Oh, no. (laughs) Here's God. I am in trouble now, right? Here's the good news. God does love you more than you can even begin to comprehend. God loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how great you think your sin might be, God loves you. How do I know that? I know that because he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for your sin, right? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. He did not wait for you to think about attempting to get your act together. He saw you there in your sin and he said, I'll die for you. I'll lay down my life for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that good news? God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how mightily you might think that you've failed, God loves you. And because God loves people, you know what we're going to do? We're going to love people also. We are called to love people unconditionally, not just people who look like you, not just people who think like you, not just people who got their act together like you got your act together, or you think you do. We're going to love people, all kinds of people, rich people, poor people, black people, white people, people with high educations, people who haven't been past the fourth grade and they're 45 years old. Love people because God loves people. And this church is going to be a welcoming place. And I thank God that, that you are. And we'll continue to grow in that. And I'm grateful for that. But we're also going to tell people the truth. God didn't say, okay, Jonah, I want you to go down there to Nineveh and tell them, I love them. You guys are amazing. What did he do? He said, no, Jonah, you go down there to Nineveh and you warn them. Repent. Okay. So it wouldn't be very loving if all we did was be sweet and syrupy and kind to people, but we didn't tell them the truth. And all the while, they're headed to hell. So we love people, but we tell them the truth in love because God loves them and Jesus loves them and he died for them. But here's the truth. You can't run away from God. He's everywhere, right? And why would you want to? Because he loves you more than you can ever begin to understand what love is. And he knows what he's doing. How many of you believe that? He does. Might not look like it, might not feel like it, but he does love you more than you can begin to understand. Verse 3 continues. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Running away from God cost Jonah financially. The word paying the fare literally could be translated paying her fare, which could be interpreted to say that Jonah bought the entire ship. Imagine that. Even if he didn't, Tarshish is about four times further than Nineveh, so I would assume it cost him more. It cost Jonah financially, and it cost him physically. 
God wasn't about to let Jonah get away, so here's what God did. Go to verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, a violent storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. That boat is in trouble. What in the world are they going to do now? God just sent a storm. And this boat is about to break apart. They're going to die. Well, go to verse 11. Then they, that's the sailors, said to Jonah, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Here's the deal. Jonah says, I'm the problem. I'm the reason why the storm is here. It's because of me. I disobeyed God. I tried to do my own thing. I tried to do my own way, and I rebelled against God, and so now we're in a mess, and you're in a mess too because you're here with me. It's not your fault. There's only one way to fix this. Take me, throw me overboard, and the sea will calm down. Jonah's decision to rebel against God cost him financially, and it cost him physically. It also cost him with the Lord relationally. Go to verse 3. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's disobedience to God took him further away from God relationally. Truth be told, most of us are probably about as close to God as we want to be. Some of you think, well, I'd be a lot lot closer to God. How many of you like to be closer to God? All right, a few of you. Probably, though, you're as close to God as, as maybe you want to be. You say, how so, Kevin? Well, let me ask you this. Don't want to be legalistic here. I'm just throwing out an example. How much time do you spend on your tablet or on Facebook, or on your phone during the week. All right? Probably zero. I got one zero. Okay. But most of us, probably 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours. How much time do you spend alone with God, reading the Word, praying, thinking about the Lord, talking to Him? You see, if you spend five hours a day saturating yourself with television, Internet, whatever, and you spend less than five minutes a day seeking the face of God, how close do you think you're going to be to God? Also, if there's something in your life where you know that God is calling you to do and to obey, but you're not doing it, that's putting a wedge between you and God and what he wants to do in your life. He doesn't stop loving you. But he says, I want to draw near to you. James 4, 8 says, if you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So if you want to be closer to God, take time for God. Listen to God, follow God, trust God, obey God. And you'll grow closer to him. It's pretty simple. Running from God will cost you more than you want to pay. And it will hurt others around you more than you want to say. Go to verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest. This was a huge, violent storm on the sea. It was so strong, it almost ripped the ship apart. Verse 5 tells us it was so bad, even the seasoned sailors were afraid and started crying out to their pagan gods. They started hurling cargo off the ship and into the sea in order to lighten it up. And guess what Jonah's doing? 
repenting of his sin, crying out to God, shaking in his boots in fear. Hardly. Go to the last part of verse 5. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was what? Fast asleep. Catching up on some Z's like some of you are doing right now, right? It's nap time. Jonah's snoring away. Got a little drool going on the pillow there. Too many Christians do the same thing. There is a world around us that's in trouble. Rather than helping them, we are fast asleep in our sin. These sailors are not saints. They're heathens. But their predicament has nothing to do with them. It's all because of Jonah. There's a popular saying in our world that says this. It's okay to do anything you want as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Listen, your sin does affect other people. You may say, well, I'm doing it all alone. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows. God knows. And whatever you do in rebellion against God affects other people around you more than you know. So here's this boat in the middle of a storm, all because of Jonah's disobedience. And Jonah is in the bottom of the boat asleep. Verse 6. The captain went to Jonah and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. These people are desperate. If something doesn't happen soon, they're going to die. Verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it'll become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah never thought it would come to this, did he? Jonah wasn't like, yeah, if I disobey God and I don't go down there to the Ninevites, um, I'm going to be in really bad trouble, and this is going to be awful, and I'm going to get thrown into the water, and I'm probably going to drown. Jonah didn't think that, did he? Jonah is probably thinking, well, you know, if I don't do this, maybe God will get somebody else. Maybe if I don't do it, it won't be very good for a while, but God will give me another assignment. It'll be okay. Jonah never thought it would come to this, but listen, sin has consequences. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. But here's the good news. No matter what you've done, no matter how mightily you might think that you've failed, no matter what your issue, no matter what your problem, no matter what your struggle is in this life, Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you so much. He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to come and die for you that you might have a personal relationship with him, not only in this life, but be with him forever and ever in a place called heaven. So don't think this morning that, Kevin, if you only knew my sin, you wouldn't say that to me. If you only knew my problems, if you only knew my struggles, if you only know how badly I've blown it, God could never forgive me. 
Let me tell you something. If I were to take the worst five minutes of my life or probably any of your lives and post them up here on the screen for everybody to watch, you wouldn't want to come back, and I wouldn't either, right? We've all blown it. We've all failed. We all have struggles. But God loves you right there in the middle of your problem, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your issue. He says, I died for you. And because Jesus Christ loves us that much, we also must love others, even people who don't have their act together, even people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, even people who have had problems in their lives, the kind of people that that Jack is talking to, and reaching out to them. We have opportunities, not only inside the four walls of this church, but going out to places like Clarity and going out to places like our own neighborhood and our own community to touch people with the love of Jesus Christ and letting them know that God loves them, and so do we. Amen? Jonah, to his credit, knows he's the problem. And he's willing to give them a solution at the risk of his own life. The sailors on board the ship, to their credit, said, not so fast, Jonah. We don't want to throw you overboard just yet. Go to verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Can you imagine being Jonah? I never thought it would come to this. <laughs> Here I am in the middle of this storm on this boat, and now these men, they're going to throw me overboard. And I'm probably going to drown. Can you imagine what that would have been like to Jonah? Here I am, a prophet of God. Here I am, a servant of the Lord. And God gave me a mission, but I decided I wanted to do life my own way instead of doing it his way. And now, here I am. I've been thrown overboard, and I'm cast into the depths of the sea, and I'm probably going to drown right here. I'm probably going to die. I never thought it would come to this. And here's the deal. For Jonah, it gets worse before it gets better. Jonah's sin cost him more than he wanted to pay. It hurt those around him more than he wanted to say, and it definitely put him in a position where he didn't want to stay. Running away from God seemed like such a simple solution at the time. If I could just run away from this call of God, he never thought it would come to this, but caution. Sin will do that to you. It's like, I didn't really think I would get in this kind of mess, but here I am. It happens. It leads you further and further down the road, down a path where you don't want to go. But one of the amazing things about our God is that even in the middle of our self-inflicted predicaments, he is still at work. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now to be honest with you, when Jonah first sees this monster of a fish, he's not saying, hallelujah, there is a fish here to deliver me. He's not thinking that. Can you imagine being Jonah? Here I am. I just got thrown into the water. I'm probably going to drown. This is horrible. I hate this. Why did nobody got it the first time? 
And all of a sudden, here comes Jaws. Boom! I don't know about you, but I'd be scared out of my wits. That would have been horrible, right? Not looking very good for Jonah. I don't think Jonah is saying, Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, this is great. Here comes a submarine. I don't think Jonah's thinking that, do you? Jonah's probably scared out of his mind. If you know the story of Jonah, you know he's going to eventually get to Nineveh. But don't you know it would have been a whole lot easier if Jonah had obeyed God the first time? Can you imagine how Jonah responded the next time God gave him assignment? Okay, Lord, here I am. Send me, right? Right there with Isaiah. I don't know if Jonah responded like that or not, but I think I would have. I don't want to go through that mess again. The story of Jonah, it's not only a true story, it's a great story. First of all, it's a powerful illustration of the lengths God will go to call people to himself. And there's no better example of that in all of Scripture than the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about it. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come to this earth for you. It's also a picture of the burial of Jesus. Some 800 years later, Jesus would say, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, would be in the grave. It's a picture of what happened to Jesus Christ after he died on the cross and was buried. Third, it's a reminder of our own selfishness. How many selfish people do they have in the room today? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're kind of selfish. Some of you are not just kind of selfish. You're really selfish. (laughs) We're all selfish in one sense or another. And Jonah is a reminder of that, that we are selfish. We want our own thing. We want our own way. We want to do what we want to do. And many times that gets us in trouble. It's also a clear reminder of how much better it is to obey God the first time. You see, we got a problem in our world. We got an attitude. Say the word attitude with me. Attitude. Say it with an attitude. Attitude. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got an attitude. She does, doesn't she? Yeah? Okay. Gotcha. Whew, I didn't get, think I'd get that much response. There's a saying in our world, and probably all of us have said it before. It's this. It's a whole lot easier to get forgiveness and his permission, right? Now, you can try that with your wife if you want to. I'm going to go on record as not recommending that. But you can try it. You can try it on your boss if you want to. Not sure I'd recommend that either. But here's what you definitely don't want to try. You don't want to do that with God. See, he knows everything. It's always better to obey God the first time. But here's the good news. Even when we blow it, even when we fail, stories like Jonah serve as an ever-present reminder that our God is the God of the second chance. Aren't you glad? He's offering another chance for you. Some of you may have wandered way away from God. Some of you are trying to do life your own way, even this morning. God's saying, hey, I'm giving you another chance. 
Philippians 1, 6 says, he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done working on you yet. He's still got stuff he wants you to do. He's still got places he wants you to go. He's still got people that he wants you to share with. Not in some legalistic way, but out of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. I challenge you to follow him wherever he leads. It's not always the easiest way to live, but I can tell you on the authority of God's word, in view of eternity, It's always the best way to live, following Jesus Christ, flat out, full bore with every fiber of your being. As you do that and I do that and we do that together, watch out world because God can use us for his glory to do incredible things. Would you pray with me?